Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Brand new year, January 13th. Yeah, welcome back from the break. We missed you. We did. And we're going to start a new book today, right? That's right. The book of Micah. Uh, yeah, it's another minor prophet. We've done, so far, we've already done... Amos. Amos. Joel. Obadiah. Obadiah. Yeah, Obadiah. Joel. Joel. So this is... Jonah. Jonah. No, yeah, yeah. We just did Jonah. Yeah, yeah. so we're... Continuing through oh, the minor prophets. Yes. The 12. The 12. Yeah. All 12 of them. Okay. So what is unique about Micah? Why should everyone listening continue to listen? Why is Micah for them? My, Micah is about how the inevitable restoration on the other side of judgment. Oh. So, and that's kind of like the, I don't I, as far as you can say, the Bible has something unique to say in one book versus mm, the other. Yeah. It's like there is a promise of guaranteed hope and restoration on the other side of judgment. Yeah. Israel will be judged. Micah will be judged. Yeah. God's people will be judged. But on the other side, there is restoration and hope and mercy. Mm. Well, that's good news. It's good news. So you should care about it because of that. Yep. There's also like a lot of one-hit wonders in Micah. There are. It's like, uh, what does the Lord require of you but to love justice and, and to do, do mercy, mercy and, and to walk humbly with your Lord. Yep. Uh, there's the prophecy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Yeah. There's good Christmas Je prophecy. <laughs> Jesus is our shepherd is in here. Yes. Like the idea it, of a yeah. shepherd king yeah. is I think first developed really clearly here in Micah. Mm. You get a hint of it in David's uh, yes. narrative, then, but this is the yeah. first time it's really explored as a theological idea. Yeah. So lots of cool stuff. Yes. So, okay. So, Help me get my head in Micah. I think the hardest thing for me with, especially the minor prophets, and I think for a lot of people, is like, what is the, what's going on in history around this moment? You know, because if you just read the yeah. book, it's like, where on, where earth, am on I? earth am I? When in earth am I? And so I think p learning to position ourselves within the larger biblical story is really helpful. Yeah. And so... Really helpfully, verse one, uh -huh. the word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hey, I wish every minor prophet book had a superscription like this. This is a very helpful one. <laughs> this is very helpful. It's literally 2 Kings 14 to 20. 
So you, you can go. go back and read those six chapters and all those events happened during Micah's lifetime or okay. while Micah was acting as a court prophet. A court prophet. Yeah, he was a professional prophet. The book of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah 28, I think. Uh-huh. Um, oh, he I, mentions him. Yes, he mentions uh, Micah prophesying during the days of Hezekiah. Okay. And so if you read those stories, uh-huh. those are the stories that are happening in the background of the book of Micah. Okay, I have two questions. Yes. One, what's a professional prophet? Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> and are there any job openings? <laughs> <laughs> job openings? Well, apparently one of the job requirements of being a prophet is to like be able to write poetry. So hey. you've got that under your belt. Um, Does that have to be good poetry or just poetry in general? I mean, all the poetry that we have has lasted several thousand years. Oh, okay. So that's so your mine standard. Mine haven't lasted that long yet. <laughs> it's your standard. Okay. It always surprises me whenever I hear prophecy like talked about in churches today. Yeah. It's always like this spontaneous thing that happens on stage. Oh, yeah. But if you read the prophecies of Micah, these are these intricately woven pieces of poetry that he clearly didn't just write. They just get up and start speaking. Uh-huh. He spent hours and hours choosing and crafting words mm. to deliver a message of doom to a king in poetry. Right. It's like, it's a very different type of prophet. Oh, man. Right? Yeah. Have you ever thought about that? No. Because whenever I think about like charismatic churches, the churches that I grew up in, and I hear words of prophecy, I'm like, okay. Yeah. The, the biblical pattern for that is like, this really detailed, thought out, meticulous type of poetry yeah. that has a cadence, that has meter, that has rhyme, that has puns, that has irony, yeah. that has like uh, Hebrew parallelism running throughout it. Yeah, I and- wonder. I mean, I wonder if, you know, if it's like they. I never pictured Micah going into his study and crafting his message and then taking that to the king. Be like, King Hezekiah, here's a new slam poem prophecy for you. Well. Maybe. Yeah. Because, so let's go back to what a professional prophet is. Okay. So a king would have prophets surrounding him and they would act as advisors to him about what God was doing in the nation and in his own kingdom. Yeah. Really important role. Uh, And like, I think all throughout the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. you'll hear stories about a king gathering together the prophets and a lot of times they're false prophets and they just tell them what the king wants to hear. And then one true prophet will be like, but God's actually saying this. Right. And there's normally dozens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the ability to construct well Mm. a piece of like prophecy and to be heard over the voice of dozens of other prophets would actually be a skill a lot of prophets would need to have. But to your point, by the time they got written down here, this is a collection edited over time and like made to make one point over many years rather than extemporaneous perhaps. However, I think the ability to articulate well when there's a whole bunch of other false prophets around, would have been a skill set Micah needed to have. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So okay, he's a so he's professional prophet in the court of the king amongst other prophets, but he is a, definitely a true prophet of God. Mm-hmm. And then you said that he's reigning during the time of these three kings, or reigning. He's prophesying during the time of these three kings: Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Yeah, in Judah, the southern kingdom, mm-hmm. which is where the temple was, Jerusalem was. 
Yeah. What is going on in those that reign that time of their reign? So Jotham is the first king mentioned, and so he was a good king. Oh, good. All right. One of the uh, in this of the point of Israel, well, in this point in Israel and Judah's history, there's not a lot of good kings left. So mm. he's like this bright spot okay. in uh, Israel's history. Um, and but the only kind of knock against his reign is that he does not tear. Uh, the idols down. Oh, okay. But Jotham also is interesting because as he's ruling in Judah, Israel to the north uh-huh. loses a ton of territories to this growing superpower, Assyria. Okay, yeah. So even though there's a little bit of faithfulness left in Judah, Israel to the north is suffering like this moral rot uh-huh. and Assyria as a superpower just swallowing up land and exiling people back to um, Assyria. Okay, so they're neighbors to the north, the ten tribes of Israel in the north, where the majority of Israel was, they're yeah. going through a moral rot, mm-hmm. worshiping false gods, um, oppressing the poor, that kind of stuff, yep. and God is judging them, as some of the other prophets had prophesied, with the Assyrian army eating up their towns. Yes. And now this prophet Micah is talking to the kings of his day, and what, like warning him the same is coming for you? Well, so that's King Jotham. Okay. King Ahaz yeah. is an evil king. So I'm just going right. to settle, settle, settle yeah, yeah, these three kings. Okay. He's an evil king, and he's the first in decades in, for Israel in the south to do evil in the Lord's eyes. Mm. So like, what I kind of want to say, like, we have a good king at first, and then there's just kind of like, it gets worse from then. Mm. So you have this first king, um, and he's the first king in the south to sacrifice his own son to pagan oh, gods. Oh, right, yeah. He strips God's temple bare of all the gold to pay off the Assyrian mercen to pay off Assyrian mercenaries to uh-huh. help them attack Syria, and he also uh, meets with the king of Assyria, um, sees his temple in Damascus, mm-hmm. and makes a copy of that altar and brings it to Israel and replaces the altar in Israel oh. with the false altar of Assyria. It's like an opposite of Sinai. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a great moment uh, in Israel's history. Okay, Boo Ahaz. And then when Hezekiah takes over after him, uh-huh. he's actually the first king to do almost the exact opposite. He mm. tears down Israel's altars mm. in, for the first time in centuries. They're, um, f- they're bad altars. The bad altars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Jotham was a good king, but he left the altars up. Yep. Hezekiah's a good king, but he actually tears him down. Right, does is, more. It's really, really more. good. It's really, really good. Uh-huh. And he even rebels against the king of Assyria and doesn't uh, offer him allegiance the way right. that he used and to. His faithfulness leads to a massive like move of God to kill like 185,000 Assyrians. Yeah, so, right? yeah, so that's happening okay. six years from Israel's exile. So when Hezekiah takes the throne, uh-huh. Israel is six years from its total exile into Assyria. Northern so, Israel. Northern Israel. Yeah, yeah, okay. So this is a lot of history, but yeah. I think it's really helpful because I think Sennacherib, mm-hmm. the king, the Assyrian general yeah. who comes up against Judah during Hezekiah's time is when a lot of Micah might have been written. Okay, just there, because of the stuff he's saying. Yeah, there's even quotes from Micah. Like there's quotes from that time in the book of Micah okay. there. So Sennacherib, Sennacherib uh-huh. yeah. comes to Israel after having, or to Judah after having swallowed up right. Israel and boasts that they're taking down all this, these, these nations, these territories. Totally. And Judah, Hezekiah is basically trying, they're trying to force the surrender. Yeah. Yes. Sennacherib has basically conquered mm-hmm. all of Israel, has come to the heart of Judah in yep. Jerusalem and says, you're next, man. Yep. And Hezekiah is in there trying to figure out what to do. Right. And, and he so, prays, right? 
Well, not yet. Okay, not yet. So Sennacherib takes over 46 cities. That's a lot of cities. And a lot of them are mentioned in uh, Micah chapter 1. Okay. And more than likely, a lot of those cities would have had refugees, asylum seekers rushing to Jerusalem. Oh, I see. So Micah chapter 2 talks about the nation or the the people rushing to Jerusalem. Yeah. So Jerusalem is filled with people. They're at capacity. Their their army is kind of in ruins. They've been impoverished by previous kings. Yeah. And this Assyrian general comes and says, okay, it's time for me to take down your doors Mm. and the first thing he does is he reverses his rebellion and he robs the temple again and pays off Sennacherib oh okay so first yeah so he repeats the sins of Ahaz yep okay yep and then he Sennacherib comes back and says well we're going to destroy Jerusalem now because it wasn't enough the money ran out (laughs) but that's when Hezekiah finally prays I see and then God overnight massacres 185,000 Assyrians. And what's really fascinating about this time period too, there's all sorts of fascinating things about the book of Micah. And I can't tell if they're interesting to anybody besides me, (laughs) but there's actually something called the Taylor Cylinder. And it's a six-sided piece of clay that documents the battle with Hezekiah from Sennacherib's perspective. Oh, so we have like other Other, artifacts of history explaining this other than the Bible. Other than the Bible. Okay. Which is fascinating to Fascinating. Me. In, in and then itself. Hezekiah interacts, and then he's saved, and then Isaiah comes in. So Micah and Isaiah are prophesying at the same time. Okay, yep. Anyway, I've said a lot of history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what's happening behind the scenes. Okay, okay. Israel to the north has already been in exile. Yep. Uh, Sennacherib Ju- is coming for them. Judah in the south is on the verge of exile. You've had a decent king, a terrible king, and a somewhat half-hearted king who can't seem to make up his mind whether he's serving the Lord right. or he's going to pay off Assyria by robbing the temple again. Uh-huh. And that's where Israel is in this time. Okay. Got it. Got it. <laughs> I got it. Okay. So that's what's happening. And what, then if you could sum up Micah's, can you sum up Micah's message to these kings? Yeah. Like what is the heart of his message to, to these kings? Because you know, there's, there's some right. prophets like, Joel, it's like the day of the Lord is coming. Mm-hmm. You know, like right, right, right. What's Micah's message? So you have three kings uh-huh. living on the verge of Judah to the south's fall to Assyria, right? And that's that's the political reality that they're living in. And Micah's message to each one of them is that after Assyria comes and wipes you out, there will be restoration. God will judge Israel for your half-heartedness, for your sin, but after judgment, there will be restoration. Mm. That's the that's the message. Of the book of Micah. Okay. And is he looking mainly toward like Babylon coming? Yeah. Because Assyria ultimately isn't the one that wipes out Judah. That's right. Uh, so he's like, he's like looking at everything that has happened in Israel. Yeah. And he's like, I mean, I mean, they're living in a war torn territory. They are. Assyria will take over a lot of land. Right. In Israel, Most of the land. In Judah. And then Babylon will come and use super Syria and then finish the exile. Yeah. They're the ones who just, they take Jerusalem. Yes. That was like the last... You know, fortress Assyria couldn't crack. That's right. And so, okay. So he's saying your destruction is sure. Mm -hmm. It's It's coming. It's coming. I think you use the word inevitable at some Mm -hmm. point. Uh, But after that happens, there will be what? Redemption? What's the word? I keep using the word restoration. Restoration. Because the promises are really about the restoration of Jerusalem as a city, of God's people as a people, of a king to rule again, like Mm. Israel back to the way it was supposed to be as God's people and God's nation. Okay. So, uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Okay. So you've got, you've got a professional prophet 
bringing warnings of destruction to three kings, mm -hmm. but promising that on the other side, there will be restoration. Yeah. Okay, I'm following that. Yeah. Okay, so I have a question for you. Um, as we look at the overall, You're like, full of questions I'm full today. of questions today. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you you got to go a little deeper on this book yeah. than I did, and so I just I also wrote all the commentary stuff that we did for Kings, and uh -huh. so I was like, let me look up all my old Kings notes <laughs> and get a chance to talk about the history of Israel. Yeah, because everyone's so excited you're, by you're, it. You're the resident expert, <laughs> and so I've, I'm full of questions today because I didn't get to do as much reading as you. Um, and so i want to like talk about the overall scope of the book because uh, i think you said earlier that there are three sections in this book that talk about uh the destruction and redemption i haven't said that yet oh you haven't but i thought you that's I thought we what, set that up at the beginning we Maybe haven't not. but that's so okay all the history mm -hmm. is there and then the book of micah itself mm -hmm. is structured around three cycles of restoration and hope okay um chapter, so, so yeah. yeah so my question then is is that a mirror of the three kings that he served under. Oh, I didn't even think about that. It's like that. you got Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and then three cycles of prophecies. It would be interesting if you could prove yeah. that cycle one was about Jotham, right. cycle two is about uh, Ahab, right. uh, Ahaz, and yeah. cycle through that Hezekiah. But I don't know if that's yeah. true. All I do know is that it's a collection of prophetic sayings from those several decades okay. Okay. that have been compiled into three cycles. Got it. Of Fair. Judgment and then coming restoration on the other side of that. Okay. So let's land there for maybe just a second since okay. we've already named it. Yes. So as you go to read the book of Micah. Which you should do. Which you should do. First, go read Second Kings 14 to 20. Okay. And get that in your head. And then when you come, know that you're about to read three cycles of judgment against Israel and its people for its sin. But on the back side of that judgment is inevitable restoration. And each one of those prophecies begins the same way and ends the same way. Each one of those cycles begins and ends the same oh, way. Oh, how, how do they begin and end? Each one begins with the word here. Okay. Here, O people. Here, O leaders. Here, O mountains. Mm. And those are the three. And then they all end with the promise of a kingly shepherd who will either beat back the enemies or guide God's flock to a new home. Mm. Okay. That's And that's, that's the structure of the book of Micah. Okay. So he calls people or leaders or mountains to hear mm -hmm. about the judgment that's coming, yes. but then says that restoration will be accomplished by a shepherd? Yeah. Why a shepherd? Well, you're getting into... So, so whenever God gives the covenant to David in 2 Samuel 7, yes. there's a whole bunch of shepherd metaphors there. Okay. And he's the first king of Israel. Right. Um, who? Well, not the first king, but he's the he's the yeah he's the Davidic king, the the, the the eternal king, the God, the one God promised the eternal dynasty will come through. Yes. So there, there's hints within the Old Testament so story so far mm. that a shepherd king will be the eternal king. So is that like a a king like David? A king like David? Because David yes. was a shepherd king. Mm -hmm. He was a f actual shepherd, a physical yep. shepherd, and a physical king. Yep. I think that's helpful for me because I think when I think of shepherd king. I think of shepherd is a characteristic and yeah. king is an office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, actually, that but, might be true. Right. But it's just reflecting on David being the first king who was at first a shepherd. The king after God's heart. Yeah. Too. And think about the three kings that um, Micah mm. is a prophet under. Jotham, who is a good king, but doesn't tear down the idols. Mm -hmm. Ahaz, who's 
purely evil and replaces yeah. Israel's temple with the false one. And then Hezekiah, who's good, who he's called good, but makes so many concessions to Babylon and Assyria that mm. eventually the nation is destroyed after his leadership. Yeah. So none of them are the good king that right. we hoped for in David. I see. So, yeah. okay, so what Mike is pulling on then is a latent hope in Israel's collective mind. <laughs> that is, one day God promised mm -hmm. that we were going to have a king like David yeah. who would shepherd our people and like bring about our good fortune. That's right. And that day hasn't happened yet because Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, none of them did it. And so we're still waiting. Mm -hmm. But the re so the reason the reason why I think I'm tracking here. Yeah, the yeah. reason why uh, judgment is necessary yeah. is because all the evil we'll talk about that was going on. But the reason why restoration is inevitable is because of the promise God made to David. Yes, that there will be a shepherd king, mm -hmm. no matter what kind of judgment has to take place. God's word, God's promise is going to happen. Yeah, he makes uh, he makes a couple like pokes at the idea of a coming king who'd be born. That's why the Bethlehem prophecy is in here. There's mm -hmm. a coming leader who will be born to restore people. But at the very end of the book, uh, Micah 7, it's just not it's not grounded in a prophecy, but in God's character. Mm. He said, who is like God? Which, by the way, is my, what Micah's name means. Ah. The very last little stanza of the book of Micah begins with, who is a God like you? And the mm. name Micah it means in Hebrew is, who is like God? Mm. So he ends with a reflection on his own name about God pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. So the reason why redemption or restoration is also inevitable is because of the character of God. Yes. Because no other God is like God. That like That's the right. God of Israel is a God who mm -hmm. forgives iniquities and mm -hmm. passes over um, our transgressions. Okay. Yeah. I get that. So it's like the book of Micah is also just like a reflection on who is like God that like no other God would love a nation like Israel knowing everything that they've done. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. No other God would watch all the horrors that have happened under the reign of Ahaz, for example, and been like, you know what? I'm going to still love these people. Mm -hmm. You know, like, who Micah, my, who else is like God? Okay. I follow yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Um, any more questions, David? <laughs> oh man. Uh, no, I, I think I'm, I think I'm good. So you have three cycles of judgment and restoration that end in a promise of a kingly shepherd. Mm -hmm. um, and it all begin with the word here. Okay, yeah. Is there is there a, like a particular reason? Like, well, you were talking about this before we came on air, but so Micah, a prophet, we was like, what is a what is a professional prophet? Someone mm -hmm. who like advises the king, but really who is supposed to interpret God's law to the king and help oh. him understand it for during his rule and reign. So Micah, uh -huh. as somebody who's supposed to be someone who carries the law in them and reports how a king is doing in accordance, like in, in comparison to the law, he's bringing basically a court suit against right. the king. I see saying, here's what the law says. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the, your scriptures mm. say. And here's the way that you failed to uh, live up to the command that you're supposed to, to, to live out. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, he's like offering three new Shema's. Yes, that's okay. exactly right. So for those who are like, what did you just say? The Shema. the Shema is the famous prayer of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so it's like that here is a call to Israel to attend themselves to the law of God and to God himself, to love mm -hmm. the Lord your God 
Like I mean, that was that's yeah. whole like Micah's thing is yeah. what does Lord require of you? You know, like love him. Yes. You know, love the things he loves. And so he's he's enacting that that prophetic call for Israel to attend themselves to God's law because Micah's whole thing is God bringing a court case against Israel. He's saying like I gave mm-hmm. you laws mm-hmm. and you broke them. In fact, uh, I like I was I was saying to you off, off air that's like it, it broke them from top to bottom. So oh, yeah. Yeah, so like the first law is about not ha- not making any other images, you yeah. know, or like having no yes. other gods before me is, is yeah. the first the It'll... first law. And then the 10th law is don't be covetous. Yeah. And uh in in uh, chapter one, verse five, they're condemned for having other gods before him, idolatry, which yes. is the first and second law. Mm-hmm. And then in chapter two, verse two, they're condemned for being covetous. So there you go. They've broken the Ten Commandments from top to bottom. From top to bottom. And yeah. so God is saying, you've broken the law. Mm-hmm. Hear this, Israel. Micah is saying it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Micah but is saying. In God's word. Yeah, yeah hear thing. this. And uh, the, the commandment is, since you've broken my law, mm-hmm. judgment must come. That's what the law said. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's a pretty straightforward. It's pretty straightforward. And the, the law that they're breaking, it, I mean, a lot of it has to do with idolatry, but and mm-hmm. then it also has to do with oppression, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, idolatry and covetousness. I mean, those are like the things he's dealing with yeah. here. And links together to the extent to which Israel is idolatrous is the extent to which they oppress the poor. And yeah, insofar as they are not loving God, they're not loving their neighbor. Yep. I mean, that makes sense. That's right. Those those two hang together in the law: love God, love neighbor. When you don't love God, you will begin to hate your neighbor. Right. So yeah. if you love false gods, you will show false love or hate to your neighbor. That's okay, right. I get that. Yeah, and the interesting thing about Micah, the way he describes the sin in Israel, is he he talks kind of he talks about it like a. Uh, like an infectious disease. Like there's this incurable wound up in Israel, you know, and like it's led to their death. Assyria has been rocking their world because of all their idolatry. And he says, now that infectious disease has spread South to Judah and with it, it's accompanying mm-hmm. punishment. Yep. Yeah. And that's also the, the, if you go back and read the book of first and second King, uh-huh. that's the way the narrative tracks as well. You have the moral rot in mm. the North spread slowly to the South. Israel I, yeah. goes to exile first, Judah and the South goes next. Yes. Interesting to think about idolatry as an infectious disease. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So idolatry is going on, corruption, covetousness. Is he, is he talking about the people of Israel is he talking about the king? Is he talking about priests? Who is Micah talking against here? Who's to blame for this? Yeah, so Micah, as a professional prophet, mm-hmm. just as a general rule, will be speaking to the leaders of the nation. Okay. Um, there would be obviously times when you talk about the, you're the people of Israel like this, but you're a faithful king. That's mm. not generally the pattern the Bible goes through, but like generally he's talking to the leaders. Like yeah. That's his audience generally. But really specifically, he names over and over and over again, the leaders of Israel as the ones who have caused or are perpetuating injustice, violence, or militarism within Israel. And he condemns them for it. Um, The people are implicated in that insofar as they support the systems and structures that the leader set up. Mm -hmm. A leader, King Ahaz, sets up cult prostitutes. And what do the people do? Use them. I guess I'll go to the cult prostitute (laughs) now. So like, they're implicated in it, but the leaders of the nation carry a unique burden of responsibility Mm -hmm. for the way they've led the nation astray. And so Micah is speaking to them, I think more often than not, but obviously the people are implicated in the judgments that he describes. I mean, that makes sense then why the hope of Micah is of a shepherd king 
it's like if all these condemnations are coming mm-hmm. against their leaders, their kings, their would-be shepherds, the only hope would be somebody to take their place and do a good job. Yeah. Okay. And think about the story that I just told, the, mm-hmm. the long history that I like re- recounted. The judges and the leaders were supposed to enact justice for all the people. But what is one of the things that King Ahaz and King Hezekiah do? They pay off mm. Assyria to remain safe for a period of time. One way they do that is by robbing the temple itself yeah. and robbing people of the way in which they were supposed to like worship God. But another way they do that is by levying massive taxes against the people. Ah. And so the judges are actually robbing the people in order to... I'm trying to say this the right way, but they're robbing the people to further their own idolatries. Mm. They believe that if they have enough money to pay off the nations Mm -hmm. or to pay another nation, at one point um, Hezekiah pays Babylon to protect them from Assyria, that that's what will rescue them. Mm. They're They're, trusting in other nations. They're trusting in horses. There's like three mentions of horses in Micah because they're trusting in military might rather than in trust in God alone. They're so robbing. Wait, are, you, are you saying you can't serve God and money? That might be one of the points <laughs> that you could make for the book of Micah. Okay, and okay. yeah, and the one thing they do here is they the wealthy, the mm-hmm. elite, the leaders rob those that own land for themselves to gain more wealth, to give more away, to uh, purchase more military uh, stockpiles, to yeah. wage war better to protect them for longer, but does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> so anyway, Let's, um, I think we've given you guys, our podcast audience, yeah. most of the information you need to start reading the book of Micah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, hey, that's good. Uh, I think, I think we've, maybe it was not done in the most helpful format, but I think <laughs> the information is there. I feel like I just got to like read uh, a couple intros to a, a commentary. Yeah. So I feel, I feel helped. Well, I'm so glad mo- <laughs> you learn through reading commentaries like most people do. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. right. Um, let me just summarize real quickly yes. and then let's meditate on what we think is the main point of uh-huh. the book. Of okay. Micah. That would be helpful. Yes. Okay. So this is a series of three covenant lawsuits mm-hmm. against Israel. Israel was supposed to be a nation with a king that blessed the world right. because they worshiped God alone. Mm. Micah is prophesying against three kings who have broken that mandate. Mm. They have failed to love God and love neighbor and are becoming a curse to the world around right. them. And there are the nation as a result is being destroyed inevitably. If you fail to be God's people and God's leaders and God's kings, God will do away with that nation because that's what, that's not the plan. Mm. You can't have a broken kingdom of God. Yeah. So God's going to do away with the broken kingdom. Yeah. But on the other side of those three cycles of judgment, there's also restoration. God will build a new kingdom. Mm. He will build a new, he'll, there, a new shepherd king will be born to lead God's people away from oppression, away from corruption, and to become the nation that blesses the world finally. Okay. Yes. That's the story of my that's helpful it made me remember one of my favorite pictures throughout the book that i feel like highlights that simple message really clearly and it's throughout the book there's the mountain of zion Mm -hmm. which is the hill of the lord the hill where the temple is like where god dwells with his people uh and it's it's like metaphorically this very high hill when in fact it wasn't that tall but like when it comes to like the fact that 
the god of the whole universe dwells there. It's a big hill. It's a big hill. Yeah. And he talks about leveling that hill or coming down to judge Israel and that hill melting like wax and he mm-hmm. is the flame on the wick. Mm-hmm. Uh, or that he's going to come and plow the the mountain even if if that was as if that was even possible to plow a mountain but he's going to do it plow a mountain to where you could plant stuff there it doesn't even matter he's just going to level it but then throughout the book the mountain pops mm-hmm. back up and in fact it's going to be higher than ever so like listen to this between the last verse of chapter 3 and the first verse of chapter 4 okay um therefore because of you right all of your sin zion the mountain shall be plowed as a field Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. By the way, yeah. this Jeremiah quotes this oh. and says that it, Micah delivered this during the reign of King Hezekiah. Interesting. More than likely, probably while he was like flirting with delegates from Babylon to try to uh, curry their military power to overthrow Assyria. I see. Anyway. So, mountain of Zion going to be plowed as a field. Next verse. It shall come to pass in latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains mm-hmm. and it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it from many nations. And so it's just this like, mm-hmm. what I love about this book, here's what I love about it. And I think this is a great segue into meditating on this central theme is as you and I were reading some of some of these, these critical scholars mm-hmm. thinking about the book is so many people have trouble believing that Micah as one person wrote this book because how can one person talk about a a mountain being plowed down by God and then that same God raising it up? Yeah. How can God be that just and like bring that that much judgment? Yeah. Bring that much judgment, but then also bring that much mercy. Yeah. And I was like, our God, right. Our God. Who is like our God? Ah, right. Who is like our God? Which blows my mind because like when I read that, so again, like I don't, we said that already. Like people come to Micah thinking two people wrote it. That's right. a very common scholarly view of the book of Micah because it seems the, bipolar almost. Yeah. Judgment comes and then on the other side of judgment, there's always restoration. Yeah. That feels like two different people. Must be two different people talking about two but different like, versions of God. Micah ends, who is like our God forgiving transgressions right. and passing them the over. The whole point that you think no God could be like this proves Micah's name. Right. <laughs> who is like our God? No one. No one. And that is consummately proved in Jesus, that Jesus revealed himself in such a way that I can say with full confidence, who is like Jesus? Mm-hmm. Like Jesus subverted every expectation like people thought the messiah the coming shepherd king was going to look a certain way and he did not yeah who is like our jesus mm-hmm. you know he came in such a way that it just uh, i mean it it left people baffled they thought that god was the prince of demons you yeah. know like that's right. what, that was the accusation against right. him they like they, they accused him of blasphemy he just mm-hmm. didn't fit the category yeah he and, was, I'm also thinking like he says, "Woe to you, Bethsaida and Chorazan! You'll be like Sodom and Gomorrah." Hmm. Remember that? Yeah. Like, yeah. Why are you thinking that? Because a couple of verses later, he's inviting children onto his lap. Oh yeah. Like, What's yeah? Or right? Yeah. Or like uh, even sooner than that, he says like, "Woe, woe to you! You would be like Sodom and Gomorrah." And then just a few verses later, he says, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will right. give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it's easy and light." Clearly, Jesus is bipolar, according yeah. to these scholars. Yeah, like who is like our God, able to exercise 
Justice. That's our tr- friend. That's our friend the train. That's our friend the train. We have able to actually justice like God, but on the backside of it, still bring restoration and mercy to mm. people who are suffering and tired. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then there's this. I don't. I, I hope we're not being offensive saying the word bipolar so much. I have a, bi, I, I, yeah. a bipolar friend, and I'm just like, I hope that's not being offensive. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, but it's like that, um, that con- like combination of ju- judgment and mercy uh, comes to a head on the cross, right? And restoration. I think mer- I think restoration, restoration. is stronger here. Okay. I think when I think I think they're they're connected. Yeah. Obviously, but judgment. Like we've been saying, is a leveling. It's a tearing down and a leveling. But restoration is a building back building up. Building back up. Like yeah. mercy is like almost the attitude with which God has towards people uh-huh. who have been raised to the ground. Right. Towards the blank field, he has mercy. But he does restoration. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, uh, if if Micah and Jeremiah are riffing on each other. Yeah, Isaiah. Uh, well, yeah, but uh, I thought you said Jeremiah quotes Micah. Or? Isaiah quotes Micah. Oh, okay. Uh, well, then never mind. Never mind. <laughs> That's my, my whole point is now moot. <laughs> but I mean, it's a biblical theme. Yes. That Jeremiah's job as a prophet was to, like his message was to pluck up and tear down, mm-hmm. but also to plant and build up. Yeah, that that's that God does both. Mm-hmm. He rips up the mountains by their roots and then mm-hmm. builds it back bigger and better than ever. And yeah. so it's like, I mean, the clearest way to see this, and I think we can get into some of the judgment and restoration in like some of the more legal sides of the cross. Yeah. But the clearest way to see this in Jesus is he was judged, right? And experienced justice and punishment on our behalf on the cross, mm-hmm. but then rose higher than he ever was you know like higher and he's high and lifted up seated at god's right hand right restored well i'm i'm even thinking not so much as the look like the focus being on jesus but the focus being god mm. who is like god mm-hmm. who judges his own son and then raises him from the dead right I mean, that's what he did to Israel. That's what he did to Israel. Right. And Jesus, as the son of Israel, the ultimate son of the covenant of Abraham, who was supposed to be the shepherd king. Right. He judges that king Mm -hmm. and yet raises him from the dead. Right. Yes. Who is like that? Who is like that? Yeah, that's really strong. Um, Mm -hmm. Now I'm just kind of lost in that one thought. (laughs) I don't have a segue to anything else. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good thought to get lost in. Um, But I mean, even Jesus talked about... um, restore like he was praying before going to the cross and he was mm-hmm. said he would pray to god restore to me the glory i had with you before mm-hmm. like in the beginning like yeah. even jesus saw what would happen after his death as god restore unto me do a, a work of restoration rebuild the mountain you know mm-hmm. in, in a sense so i just think like he probably had yeah. those categories too i keep thinking about what type of people want restoration um because there's this idea of a remnant, mm-hmm. like a, a people within a people that will experience the restoration. Mm-hmm. God's so, going to judge Judah and Jerusalem, but there will be a pocket of people right. who will experience that judgment, but will be saved on the back right. end. So I'm thinking it's the people who know things should be different. It's the oppressed people mm-hmm. that w- want and hope for restoration. So like judgment is coming to Israel. Like the oppressed of a nation... Oppressed Germans, oppressed Jews, mm-hmm. oppressed Uyghur Muslims. They're from nations. Right. They see the oppression of their overlords. They actually want 
the nations to be judged, even if it means part of that affects them because they know what's going to be built afterwards is so much better. Right. That's the, that's the hope in a way, right? Yes. So I keep thinking about how the hope of restoration after the destruction of evil and corrupt powers and Kings Mm. is good news for the, the oppressed, the lowly who call out for help. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. And how even in mo in people who are severely oppressed by powers, they, judgment coming on them as part of the judgment of the broader powers is expected and part of the good news in and of itself. Hmm. If I am a Jew in Germany, I want Germany to be judged. Right. Even if I live there. Even if I live there. Right. I want that because I know a destruction of the nation I know mm-hmm. will be the rebuilding of, of a better one. Yeah. And so even Micah does this. Yes. Micah, in the, his last prayer, he prays a prayer of woe against himself. Yeah, it's interesting. He becomes, he like lets himself become a representative of Israel in a sense. Yes. Where it's like, if Israel is going to be judged and then have restoration, he then says, well, then if I'm a part of Israel, then yeah. woe is me. Yeah, he says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Mm. We have no indication that Micah is a bad prophet or a faithless prophet. But he's a part of a faithless nation. Yeah, until, or but it's like, so I will bear the indignation of the Lord. And then afterwards, God will plead my case mm. and execute justice for all that I have suffered. There's a hope that even among the oppressed, that the judgment of the nation that they're a part of is actually restoration and hope for them. Yeah. And I'm like, I've been like trying to think about that. Like Mm. why is judgment for the thing I'm a part of good news? Yeah. And because I don't want the, I don't want God's people to die. I don't want my nation to die. Right. I want what it is to die. Right. So that it could be built back into what it's supposed to be. Like, Mm. right. Like God's covenant, like, plans for Israel were to bless the world. Yeah. My Israel doesn't do that anymore. Mm. But if Israel is judged on the other side of that, Israel can bless the world once again. Yeah. And I think I can sniff out what you're getting at because it's like in or like, I mean, I, I feel like every season of sanctification, I go, I, I kind of experience this too, that God is asking me as a person to come and experience death. Right. To come and be judged for the man that I am and the man that I have been. And I see the sin in me and I have to come before him and be like, you know what, God, the man that I am, the priorities I've set, the things I've built my life around, they need to die and be judged. Mm -hmm. That's going to hurt. And everything around me is going to kind of have to fall Mm -hmm. and be leveled. Yeah. But I want that to happen because of what we built out of it. Right. Like, I know that there will be restoration and rebuilding in my life and that will be worth the death. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking like devotionally for myself. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can, I can enter into the loving hands of God as a judge, you know, who is a father who disciplines the sons that he mm-hmm. loves as mm-hmm. the new Testament would say, because I know that there is inevitable restoration on the other side. Mm-hmm. That um, my judgment means restoration. And I, this is proven in the cross. Right. That Jesus suffered, but because of that suffering, because of that death, he was resurrected into glory. Mm-hmm. And like that's the same promise that extends to us. Like I'm thinking mm-hmm. of 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. That we're like a little seed that 
just plant it in yeah. the ground and it grows something better. Yeah. yeah. Also think about that phrase, faithful unto death. Yes. Thinking about like Jesus was faithful to death, to die. Mm-hmm. In the same way that Israel was faithful to die and that Micah was faithful to die and experience God's judgment. Mm. But because he was faithful to walk up to that death, that's why they're resurrected. Yeah. Like there's a faith, like a faithfulness in walking towards the judgment of God rather than trying to avoid it. Oh, yes. I see what you're saying. Is is how we experience the restoration. Right. I mean, that's what repentance is, right? Yeah. Repentance isn't saying like, oh, never mind. Uh, I, I wasn't really that bad. Yeah, right, it's, right. it's stepping into the light, being seen as you are, mm-hmm. and like walking toward the judgment. Right. And then and then realizing that like, yes, God's going to strip that away, and there is a daily death, take up your cross and follow me, mm-hmm. but that there's life on the other side. That's what I kept thinking about throughout this, is that normally when I think about the gospel, I think about all judgment being paid for in Jesus. Right. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Right. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Right. But the more I kept meditating, I was like, no, even now for Christians who have been saved by Jesus, mm-hmm. who Jesus has died for, judgment still comes first, mm. even after the cross. We still have to walk towards judgment. And you just said it. We have to repent of our sins. There's a stripping of the old way, yeah. and putting on a new way. We have to pick up our cross daily. Mm-hmm. There's a daily judgment yeah. of our old selves so God can rebuild and restore something new in us. And then, and then I keep thinking, like, one day we still die. If Jesus paid for my sins... Why do I have to die physically? I thought the wages of sin was death. Right. If my sins are paid for. Right. right. Yeah. But I only get eternal life when I'm faithful unto death. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So there's still judgment now. Yeah. Before I experience the final restoration. And so I, I keep... Like, that was what I was wrestling with as I kept reading through Micah. Hmm. It's like, why is that good news? Yeah. Well, let me, I want to come back to that question, yeah. uh, but I want to tease that out just a little bit because mm-hmm. I think what you said is pretty heavy, maybe for a lot of listeners. Right. <laughs> we like to get dark before uh, we get bright. <laughs> that is it, like, and heavy, I mean by like theologically heavy, mm-hmm. like, because I, I know you're not saying that Jesus did not perfectly sufficiently once for all, as Hebrews would say, die for the penalty of our sins. Right. And that his death is sufficient. It is finished. Mm-hmm. Right. Our death doesn't pay for our sins. You know, like, right. and our sanctification, our walking to the light, walking towards judgment isn't penance mm-hmm. for unpaid sins. Right. You know, like, there's more to do. Yeah. But we live in a world that operates under this these principles that Mike is talking about. That, mm-hmm. like, when you break God's law, you know, even after you're his people, mm-hmm. he disciplines those he loves. Mm-hmm. Like, the law has uh punishments tied to its breaking yeah and like we experience those i mean we experience those like if you have an addiction after you're becoming a christian uh, an addiction is its own punishment mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah there is punishment in sin is all i'm saying mm-hmm. and then like we still live in a cursed world by which we'll have to like die like to which we'll have to die mm-hmm. and um we need to be faithful to jesus until that death yeah. Um I'm just I'm trying to met out like yeah, yeah, that. No, I think like those are all good caveats of what I don't mean. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah, right. right, that, right. That's all I was trying to yeah. yeah, and it's like I cut cuz what all I want to do is do justice to what Micah's trying to talk yes. talk us through. Yeah. There is restoration after judgment. Right. And 
in one way, the easy way to talk about it is what happened to Jesus. Yeah. After the judgment of Jesus, there was restoration for all God's people by faith in him. Right. Done. Amen. Paid for everyone, all nations, yeah. all the time. We'll talk about that as we get into the weeds of, mm. of Micah. It's over. Judgment has been done. So all that's left is restoration. Right. Great news. Yeah. But that pattern yeah. of judgment first and then restoration after happens even after the cross. Mm-hmm. And like that's, I want like, where do we find good news in that story? Like, yeah. why is that still the pattern even after Jesus? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, oh, it does totally. And it's like, I mean, there. I mean, one thing I'm thinking of is, is like the reason why we keep running toward judgment, the reason why continually dying and being judged in order to bring restoration, the reason why that's good news is because there's still sin in my body, in the way I think, in the passions of my heart, mm-hmm. in the way I use my eyes that yeah. need to die, mm-hmm. that need to be judged. You know what I mean? Like the power of sin is broken in the cross, yeah. but like that still needs to be met out in my life. Yeah. And like that means going through a thousand little deaths every day, taking up my yeah. cross and like dying. Yeah. Um, and in order for there to be restoration in my life. I keep thinking of how that transforms judgment. Normally I think about judgment, it's like this harsh thing. Hmm. It's, oh, it's an evil thing. Right. But as a Christian, I actually walk towards it in hope. Right. Judgment's actually just the door. Yes. God, please kill this in me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's how God has restored Israel. Right. It's like you said earlier, if you are an oppressed Jew in Germany, you want Germany to be judged, even if that means your house gets devastated in the process, because at least the evil power will be done. Yeah. And it's like, we walk towards judgment because mm-hmm. we're like, it would be better to die mm-hmm. and to have this, this reality. to this reality and let this sin be done away with than to continue yeah. being oppressed by it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then it's also good news too, because it's just like, I, I, I think this statement who is like our God is so strong because, I mean, I read verse 18 of chapter 7, the closing prayer, where he's like, who is like our God pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? It's like, how on earth could a God know the, um, what's the word, what's the language we use? The 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 disease, the infectious, the infectious disease. The sepsis. The sepsis <laughs> that had overtaken Israel and Judah. How could God know that? How could God know that he'd pillaged their temple and used it to go pay off false gods? How could they he know the depravity of their hearts, like seeing their mistrust and their hate of him? How could he watch a father sacrifice his own sons to a fake God and then forgive that people? Like, what kind of God does that? Yeah. And I think there's good news in that, right? Mm-hmm. Like that God forgives us even though he sees how terrible we are that's that was my meditation yesterday as i was thinking through this it's like perhaps the reason why it's a a comfort to be judged first is because our forgiveness will never be blind that way like Mm -hmm. it's only after a full account of my sin will god look at me and will be forgiven because my sin is so fully known god will see me clearly i like I think I'm always afraid when somebody forgives me or gives me a compliment. Oh, it's like you wouldn't say that if you really knew who I was or what was going on. Right. Yeah. And so I'm always like... I've hedge- never thought that. I'm always hedging. <laughs> yeah. Like the, It's not full because you don't know the full right. story. If you knew, you would not be giving me this compliment or forgiving me right now. But because I'm judged first fully, yeah. 
now I know that my sin is known, seen, weighed, and found less weighty than the grace of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm known, yeah. and I'm forgiven. Yeah, I think so many people, like, go through a conversion experience mm-hmm. where they become a Christian, and they think that God just kind of, like, glossed over their life. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the chalkboard eraser metaphor. Where it's like, you've messed up your life and scribbled all over it, and then here's the blood of Jesus, and it's an eraser, uh-huh. and it wipes it out clean slate. I, you had a different... <laughs> I had, had a never, different upbringing <laughs> than you. I had never heard that before, but I, can, I get it. I can see you, you pastor doing that yes. somewhere. And, and they're like, okay, cool, but he doesn't know how like messed up the chalkboard is. Yeah. You know, like... You can still see what he wrote underneath. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like, cool, he, he wiped it out, but he didn't know it. You know, and right. so then they end up coming into some kind of like really big sin or still struggling with that addiction or maybe a, a new sin crops up in their life, you know, and they're like, man, God might have saved me and loved me back when I was 12, yeah. you know, whenever I came to faith. Right. But now that I'm 30 and struggling with these disgusting sins, there's no way God mm-hmm. loves me the way he loved 12 year old me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think people struggle with this a lot that they, they I kept thinking, don't think God sees them and loves them. I I would always still think like, you know, like you will give an account of every idle word you ever said. Totally. Right. And I've always kind of been, so it's like, I know I'm saved, but I also know there's a day when like my sins will be replayed like a video screen. Yes. And I've always like been, I still haven't like nailed to the ground precisely what that means. <laughs> but like one version is like, well, Jesus will just be like, well, it doesn't matter because I forgave you. Right. But now I'm beginning to wonder, it's like, if I watch that, if let's say that version of reality is true, I'm going to get to heaven and there's going to be a video of every sin I've yeah. ever committed. Right now, I kind of I felt terrified of that moment. Uh-huh. But what if like, it'll finally feel like a relief? Mm, how? Like, God sees all my sin. Yeah. And yet he still invites me in. Like, yeah. right? You know, I'm yeah. like, what if like giving account of every idle word should, it's a warning. Don't, yes. don't do idle words. Right. But it's also an invitation like, that God knows them all and he still invites you in. Right. Like I'm just, yes. it's, it's transforming for me what it means to be judged because to be judged isn't to be exiled entirely, but right. invited into restoration. Yeah. At I least mean, for those yeah. Jesus. I mean, I'm thinking of two things. One is, uh, imagine how that video screen would play out for the thief on the cross where it's just right. like his whole life is bad. Up to almost his dying breath. And then his dying breath is the only part of the story that is good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, never mind. My my bad deeds definitely outweighed my good. Yeah. And uh, never mind, Jesus. I'll go to the bad place now. Goodbye. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. I played all that for you so you could see how huge my grace is for you. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's amazing. And then the second thing I thought of is there's a scenario I play in my head all the time. Yeah of that day. Yeah. And it goes something like this, that one day I'll stand before God. And when I look at him, I will feel him seeing every part of me for the first time. Like I know cognitively that he sees my heart. And Mm -hmm. like when I pray, I try to like open that up to him. Like the psalmist teaches Mm -hmm. to do that, you know, my inward being and all that kind of stuff. But like, I will be capital K known. (laughs) Like, and it will be, horrifying like like naked you know like just known before the eyes of god and i will just know that he sees everything like everything 
and like stuff that I I had repressed that mm-hmm. I didn't even know anymore. Right. He will know. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, I will know how like heinously evil it is. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be offended by my sin right. the way I should have been all along. It's like whenever you watch a movie with your parents. And yeah, like, and, yeah. It's why like, am I oh, noticing all these swear words yeah, all of a sudden? <laughs> this movie did not used to be that offensive. <laughs> like I'll finally be super offended by my own actions. Yeah. And then I will know beyond a shadow of a doubt two things. One, the next words out of God's mouth will be away from me, evildoer. I'll know that. And the other thing I'll know is he's so right. That's the best thing he could have said. Like Mm. it's the only good thing you could say to someone as terrible as me. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, in that moment, you'll agree with God. I'll agree with God's. I saw the same video you did. You're right. You're right. You're right. I must go away for you to be good. (laughs) Yeah. Like that is right. I would send myself away. Goodbye. Yeah. But instead the words out of his mouth will be well done. Good and faithful servant. And I'll Mm. go, what? What? (laughs) And it's only because of, what came first? It's only because of my judgment that the judgment mm-hmm. came down first. And it came down on Jesus for me. Yes. Yes. And that it didn't disappear. That it was like, never mind. It's okay. I was like, oh, well, then that's kind of cheap. Thank you. Here right. we go. Well done, good and faithful servant. I bore all of that heinous evil and judgment that you deserve mm-hmm. on myself. Come feel my hands. Like, put your fingers in the nails, like, in the mm-hmm. nail holes. Like, I paid for that. I'm, I'm rereading like, verse nine. I will bear the indignation of the Lord mm. because I have sinned against him. And what you're describing is the very next verse. And then he'll plead my case. Yeah. Like you're describing God pleading with your own conscience that no, it's paid for. Yeah. Like there's a day when that verse will happen. Yes. And that's really, Oh, it's such good news. So that is the overview of the book of Micah. Oh. Um, kind of all over the place from yeah. the politics of Israel to <laughs> what happens on the last day and my own neuroses about the video that plays at the end of time. <laughs> um, but it's great. That is it. So we'll, I think we'll spend the next three weeks okay. in the book of Micah. One per cycle. One per cycle. Love it. Um, unless one ends up being really short, but I think there's enough interesting things in each one of those three okay. to justify three podcast episodes. Well, I'm excited to be in Micah with you for the next three weeks. It's going to be great. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.